One Hope Church. All right, good morning. Yeah, let's get a little more good mornings. There we go. Awesome. Good morning on Facebook as well. Thank you all for joining us this morning. Uh, it's a privilege to be able to worship the Lord together. So this morning we're going to be in John chapter 12, uh, beginning in verse 13, and we'll go 13. Uh, we're going to try to get to 36. We'll see. I'm not going to take too much time uh, this morning, but um, just an amazing chapter of Scripture. Just remember last week we saw in John chapter 12, verses 1 through 12, of Jesus with Lazarus and Martha and Mary in the house of Simon the leper, who obviously Jesus had, had healed. And Mary uh, puts the spice on his, on his feet. Um, the spikenard um, that would have come from a plant, the root of a plant up in the Himalayan um, mountains. And to consider how far that would have traveled, and it said it, that the value of it was a, a, a year's salary. And she put it on the feet of Jesus and wiped um, his feet with her hair in honor and worship. And Jesus says it's in preparation of his of his burial, but it's an interesting contrast because what we have that immediately follows that we look at this morning is Jesus entering into um, Jerusalem and him being referred to um, as the king. And so there's a contrast here uh, between what people you know different expectations of what they thought Jesus um, might do. So let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer. And then we'll get into this section of scripture this morning. So Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you so much for the privilege to be here. We thank you for a beautiful day. Um, But every day, um, regardless of the weather, is a beautiful day to worship your name, to give you praise, glory, and honor that you are due. Thank you, Jesus, that you loved us. And thank you that you are truly the King. You are also the Savior and the one who paid our price at the cross. We thank you so much. In your name, Jesus, we give you praise. Amen. Amen. So, in verse 12, um, it says, On the next day, the large crowd who had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took the branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him and began to shout, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. It says, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Jesus, finding a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. These things his disciples did not understand at the first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written of him and that they had done these things to him. So let's stop there for a minute and, and really try to, to um, get, a, get a full picture of what's happening here. So, you know, it's the time for the, for the feast. Um, people are preparing for the Passover and word starts to spread you know, Jesus is here. Jesus actually did come. He actually did show up. Like, you know, the crowds start to 
pay you know to pay attention word starts to um, starts to travel through and so they're you know they're looking for Jesus there's an expectation they bring branches of palm trees now again we have to remember that with this Passover there are people coming for celebration there are Jewish people from all over uh, what is the now at this time, the, the Roman-dominated world, the Roman Empire. Uh, you know, some of them would have started traveling, you know, a month prior, two months prior, three months prior, um, to be in Jerusalem to get there in plenty of time before the beginning, you know, of, of the Passover. Now, I'm sure there's some who are also like us who, like, pushed it, you know, some of us, are always early, and some of us, you know, push it to the last minute. So you might have had some people coming here in here at the end too, and say, "What in the world is going on?" But there are people from, you know, many people from Galilee would have come, you know, south, um, you know, and taken that that shorter journey to Jerusalem. But as we know um, from the Book of Acts, there were also people coming from, you know, very far away places, and they would come for the Passover. Um, and then they would stay through Pentecost because, you know, generally you're not going to travel that far without staying somewhere for a while. You're not going to take, you know, I mean, you think about this, like most people aren't going to take a trip even today that's like, okay, well, I've got to travel 30 hours to get there. I'm going to be there for three and then I'm going to travel 30 hours back home. Like, you know, you do the math on that and you kind of like, most of the time, it's going to be a really unusual situation for for you to do that. You're going to kind of match the amount of time that you're there, at least with your travel. You want to be at least in the place that you are longer than it took you to get there. Um, and and it, it takes a long time to travel in, in these days because it's it's walking. It's, you know, perhaps a person has a donkey. Perhaps they had to take even a ship. Um, you know, is there in a, a, a part of the Mediterranean and coming over... Um, to Israel and then having to to journey through from the coast, so you know it's a it, it takes a lot to get there. But remember, the word about Jesus has has spread, and so many people who even were not you know residents of Jerusalem in terms of where their you know where their home was and where they lived are still coming in, and and many of them I think we think are are part of this crowd that have the palm trees and they're out to meet him and they're shouting and they say, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. So that word Hosanna basically means like save, like save now. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a cry for, for, you know, kind of for help of, of save us now that has been turned into um, a, a phrase of, of praise. Uh, and so, you know, it's it's a praise, but it's also a call for help. And he said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And so they there is a recognition that Jesus is the King. Now, whether they fully understood the total implications of, of that as king and how they viewed him as king. But, you know, there is a there is certainly a sense where where many of them are still very politically minded and they are hoping 
that Jesus will come and establish himself as the political leader, as the political king of Israel, and that he will free them from being under, you know, under Roman rule and control. That if they have, you know, the king that's been promised by by God, they would have a deliverer who could deliver them from a, from a great enemy. Now, again, from the outside, looking in, you can look at, you know, the size and population of, of Israel and the fact that at this point they don't really have, you know, a, they don't have an, an army that's weaponized and trained and, and all of these things. And you have the Roman Empire. So you got, you know, little old Israel on one side without a trained army, without weapons, without, you know, a cavalry, without catapults, you know, and without bows and arrows by the thousands, by the tens of thousands. And you have the Roman Empire that is dominating from, you know, modern day, uh, you know, uh, to the far to the west and then really far to the east and north and south. And it's a massive army. And when the Roman Empire at this point in history wanted to go in and crush a, a revolt or a people group, they didn't have so much of a hard time doing that in most cases. They are dominant. So it reminds us a little bit of, of, you know, it's the classic, you know, scene that we see from the Old Testament of David and Goliath. Like, how could little old David fight and beat, beat I mean, he wasn't that little, you know, I mean, he was a, a strong dude, but he's up against superior strength and superior weaponry. But see, that's what the, the history that Israel had is that they had... They had uh, in their history beating the odds because of the great deliverance of God who gave them great victories and freed them from, you know, slavery in, in Egypt, who freed them from, you know, the hand of the, of the Philistines, who, who freed them, you know, time and time again from, you know, the Assyrians or, or some other foe. They have a history that if they have one who has been called by God to lead them, that they can be victorious. And so for many of these people, it's still a political hope that Jesus would be the king of Israel. And the fact that he has has this this power, this miraculous power to feed the masses. Well, you're not going to have a supply problem. If you've got, if, if Jesus is there, he's the one who can heal the sick and the wounded. Well, if your soldiers get wounded or killed in battle, Jesus can heal them or raise them from the dead. When you've got one who can control nature, who can stop the waves and the wind on the sea. You feel pretty good about your odds, even against an army of superior numbers and weaponry. 
the king of Israel. But where do we find Jesus? Jesus finding a young donkey, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. So Jesus is, is on this this young donkey, this foal, and I mean this this lowly animal. What a contrast. You know, here comes the king, but yet here comes the king riding on this animal of that was depicted as an as um, you know in, in in the as an animal of peace. He, he doesn't come in this case here on the horse on the the animal of of royalty of you know elevated kingship of power the horse is a symbol of of power and a symbol of the ability to to fight in battle and of, of war he doesn't have a chariot he doesn't even have his, you know, his disciples build a platform and set him up on it and carry him on their shoulders and march through in in that fashion. No, he comes lowly. It's the contrast when you read Zechariah chapter nine and you read the chapter and at the beginning of it you see the con- you're going to see the contrast between you know how the world elevates a king and then how the king of Israel, how Jesus enters. In. But he really is the king. What the people did not understand, and this is key point for us this morning, is that in the Old Testament there's two lines of prophecy. One has, you know, the, the humble, you know, servant, the, the, the king who is a savior and servant who comes to die for his people. Who comes to, to to suffer at the cross? You have, you know, Isaiah fifty three. But there's then there's a there's a contrast that with that and the other prophecies about you know one who is going to to rule with dominion. I mean, it's in so many of the Psalms, and both things are going to happen. But there's an order. See, first he's got to come. And suffer and and bring salvation, but when he returns, you know, the picture in Revelation, he's not on a donkey, he's not on a young colt or a young donkey. He is on the horse. There's a contrast, there's a difference. When he returns, it's going to be different. And he's going to bring justice. And he's going to make all things right. Even the disciples of Jesus, it tells us in verse 16, in the moment, didn't fully understand what was happening. Later on, they had the benefit of hindsight. And that's so true in life, isn't it? You know, a lot of times in the moment... You don't fully get something, but then you look, you know, when you, when you look back, you know, we say, you know, looking back, your vision is always, is always 20-20, you know, you see, you see clearly. But in the moment, sometimes we miss stuff. And here the disciples admit, you know, John writes and admits, hey, we were kind of missing a lot of what was going on here. 
we didn't fully understand. We didn't fully get it. So in verse 17 it says, So the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to testify about him. For this reason also the people went and met, met him, that's Jesus, because they had heard that he had performed this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are not doing any good. Look, the world has gone after him. And you almost kind of see them like blaming each other. So you're not you're not getting it done. We're trying to stop Jesus. You're not getting it done. Other you're not getting it done either. You know we're not we're not being effective here. Um, but yet, you know, again, in order to keep their religious position, in order to keep their political power, in order to keep their great financial wealth, they were willing to continue to sell out. Um, to what they viewed as the superior power of the Roman Empire instead of also throwing their their lot in with Jesus. To them, it looked like the cost was too great. It was too risky. And in a certain sense, they understood that correctly. In a certain sense, they did understand that correctly, that, you know, if, if you have Jesus as king, then that changes who's in charge, and that changes the rules of the game. The same thing is true for our lives today. Somebody comes to believe in Jesus, and, and they have him as, as savior and as king, then the game has changed, because now you don't get to set the rules for your life anymore. Jesus sets the rules. You don't get to set the agenda for your life anymore. Jesus sets the agenda. That's part and parcel of being under his kingship. Now there were some Greeks, in verse 20 it says, there were some Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast. These came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and began to ask him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip came and told Jesus, and Jesus answered them and saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world will also keep it to life eternal. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there my servant will will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So this is an interesting portion, uh, uh, you know, picture here in the in the scene where, you know, you have all this, you know, with the palm branches and this hosanna, and it's beautiful, and then there's some Greeks that are on the scene and these Greeks are ones uh, it seems like who have a a real desire to know God um, and to and to worship him and so they want um, you know they want to meet with Jesus and they want to check things out you know for themselves what's going on so they ask Philip and it's specific that they went and asked Philip you know well why did they ask Philip well you know, Philip has a has a Greek name. You know, he didn't. 
you know, he didn't have a, a, a you know, like a, an Aramaic, you know, the Hebrew of the day. He didn't have, he didn't have that type of name. He had a Greek name. And so he was a natural one to go and, and, and ask. Um, you know, and, and, you know, Philip, obviously his, his family named him a Greek name for, for a reason. You know, and, and it's interesting, you know, when people are in um, cultures that are, that are dominated, uh, you know, if they're from one, one group and they're, they're dominated by another group, there's some who will say, well, it's going to be easier if we give our, our kid a name. Um, that is common and is going to help his future to be able to do business more easily in this world, to be able to navigate this world, you know, more easily. And so, you know, even, you know, the United States is a, is a melting pot. And so, you know, many times people coming from other nations, you know, they, they give their kids, you know, more, you know, American sounding names than, uh, you know, and and maybe they keep a, a a name from their their home country or their home place and people. Maybe that's a, a middle name, <laughs> you know, a secondary name. Um, but there's oftentimes a a desire to say, okay, we're gonna we're gonna try to make this path a little more smooth. And so having a Greek name, I'm sure his parents thought having a Greek name would serve him well in life. And so, he was the one that they went to. And they come and tell Jesus. And you see, this is part, when he says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. You see, this is part of, you know, Jesus as king did not come just just to be the king of Israel. He comes to be king of all. We see this in, in Paul when he writes in Romans chapter 1. You know, that he is not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. And in that sense, that word Greek is used very universally. Like, to the, to the Jewish people, but also for everyone else. Way of saying that. And so you and I, many of us who, who are, you know, not, um, you know, not Hebrew, not Jewish, um, you know, we have been part of that lot. We can identify with those with those Greeks going, hey, let me let me see who this Jesus really is. And Jesus answered and said to them. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So first he's talking about himself. Because Jesus is going to go to the cross and give his life as a ransom for many. You know, for those who believe in him, he is going, you know, he he pays the price. We know Jesus paid the price, but it... It becomes effectual. It makes a difference in your life when you believe in Him. And so, but He has to die 
in order to bring forth fruit, just like the the grain of wheat, you know, has to go, you know, has to has to die and go into the ground and be buried, and then it's going to bear much fruit as it you know sprouts, you know, back up in new life and produces a harvest. But then he's also given this word to his disciples, he who loves his life loses it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. Now this is a hard word that Jesus gives. It's a hard word and I don't want to soften it. But what does Jesus mean here? He who loves his life loses it. It means that those who live a life for themselves, those who live a self-centered life, those who live their lives without figuring out what life is really about are going to lose their life. And what is life really about? It goes back to understanding for what purpose you exist in the first place. And this goes back to a very fundamental question and a fundamental thing because the reality is if you are just and I are just space dust and we are here by random you know, chance... And we're just molecules, you know, atoms and stuff bouncing around all over the place. Then there isn't purpose. And if there isn't purpose, if life is actually truly meaningless, then, you know, live by your own rules and do by your own thing. And it doesn't really matter. And nothing really matters. But the fact of how we live. I mean, anybody who says that yet we live in this, I mean, just look at social media. People think stuff matters. They think their lives matter. They think issues they care about, you know, matter. Everybody acts like it matters. Well, if it, if it matters, then that means you were created for a purpose. When we go back to Genesis and we see in the garden that purpose was to commune with God, to enjoy Him fully, to worship Him, and to walk with Him. Like That's why we're created, is to be in communion, to be in relationship with God. We were created for that purpose. So, so living a self-centered life, that is a life that is not centered on God. See, a life that's not centered on God is a self-centered life, even if that life, you know, that life may be centered on money, that life might be centered on relationships with certain people, that life may be centered on, you know, any purpose that is not God is a life that is centered on the wrong thing and is a, is a life that loves itself in its own way. And it is lost. If you live life for yourself, for your own way, whatever that is, even if it's, you know, well, I'm going to live for the good of other people just without God. Well, it's still, that is, that is still a self-centered life. By one's own rules and own purposes. But he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal, which, which that, you know, hate, you know, we think of um, you know word, words love and hate a little bit differently than they thought about these words. Um, you know, in in the original context and in cult, in their culture. But the idea there is that your life is not the the center, but that God is the center. 
your life is subservient to God's rule and God's way. And so it's a doing away with one's, you know, own desire and purpose that is apart from God, that is separate and different from God's. I want to be careful there because it's not, as some have taken a a place in life, you know, like they think they're spiritual by, you know, neglecting, you know, their bodies or by beating their bodies. You know, you see, I mean, that might sound strange to you, but there are people in the world who, you know, in religious festivals and, and, and events are part of their, you know, traditions and everything will literally beat themselves with whips or have others beat them with whips and canes and you know, bleed all over the place and suffer mightily thinking that they've done some sort of good because they are, you know, hating their life and their bodies and everything else. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus is talking about giving up your control. Surrendering your control. Surrendering your agenda. Surrendering everything at the feet of Jesus and acknowledging that He is the King. He says... If anyone serves me, he must follow me. You see, that's the key to it. If we say, you know, we are servants of Jesus, or we are followers of Jesus, or we are about doing things His way, you know, we must follow Him. And again, that means He sets the agenda. He sets the when. He sets the where. He sets the why. He sets the how. He sets it all. And our job is to be obedient to His calling. And that's it. He must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. I mean, when we are following Jesus, Jesus is right there with us. And if anyone serves me, the, fa- the Father will honor Him. So that's that communion with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that we have in relationship with Jesus and in following Him. Now again, we don't turn this into a works-based salvation. You know, it's Jesus who died on the cross for us. We believe in Him. We are forgiven and we are received into His His family and into His kingdom. But if that's really real, then there is certainly an expectation that we are going to follow Jesus and follow Him fully. That we are not going to shrink back and say, oh, it's, a, you know, it's okay. But we are going to follow Jesus. And we are going to follow Him. Even when there is a cost to following Him. And that's our encouragement this morning. That Jesus has that proper place in our lives. And so as we go to the Lord in prayer, as Derek, Brother Derek comes back up and, and leads us in a couple more songs, if you have your, your communion in your car or at home, you are free to take it. Um, but we need to spend a little time and have our hearts before the King and say, Lord, I want to follow you, and I want to follow you fully. Please help me to follow you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your goodness to us. Please help us to follow you fully today. Lord, may may we understand that we were created for a purpose. 
to know you and to bring you glory and to follow you. And we know that following you will result in, um, in helping others and that we receive the most joy of purpose in life when we follow you fully. We thank you for your love and your goodness to us. Help us to be those who love you and help us to be good neighbors in our to one another and in our communities and in this world. Help us, Lord, we pray. As we take the bread and the cup, we give you thanks, Jesus, that your, your body was, was put in the ground as a seed. Yet the ground couldn't hold you. The grave couldn't hold you. And that there has been no greater fruit than what has come out of, out of you, Lord. And we are so thankful. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.